One of my favorite guests for the radio program is Bob Parks from Black and Blonde Media. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. Bob calls himself the uncomfortable conservative, and I'm glad to have him on the program today. Bob, I want to start the program with a question. We've heard all about uh, what Bob Woodward's book is telling us that apparently Trump knew that President Trump knew that the coronavirus was serious, but he didn't bother to tell anybody. What's your what's your reaction to the accusation made in that book? Well, this is the funny thing, and and it's funny. Um, Rush Limbaugh brought this point up on Friday, and, and Laura, my wife, said, "Hey, Bob, Rush is, is saying what you were saying." And just previous, now granted, I don't have a, a fifty thousand watt flamethrower of a radio station that I can put my musings out on a daily basis. But one of the things that's always kind of puzzled me when you have people on both the left and the right, and you have people who are who have um, the credibility to be able to put out their opinions on a daily basis, and some of them write for publications, why they feel like they have to come out with, and you see, you hear these advertisements on, especially on the conservative talk radio. So-and-so has this new book, and these are the things you need to know in order to get Donald Trump elected. These are the things you need to know in order to save our country. Mm-hmm. Well, if they're so damn important. Absolutely. Why are you waiting to, and, you, and people have to actually pay money to get this important information to save the country. You have some of these journalists who are getting paid. Now, I don't know what Bob Woodward's status is, who he writes for, if he's even, if anybody is, is actually taking the time to give him a paycheck. But you have people like Woodward who are, and these other reporters mm-hmm. who are paid to follow politicians, to follow the news of the day, and they're paid to get interviews and get information, but it's all of a sudden, they're writing this book and they're now giving us details of things that, of, of uh, little tidbits of quotes that they've gotten previously. Well, mm-hmm. why didn't they put them out then when they were getting paid for them? Mm-hmm. But now they're putting them out in the book and it, it's, it's quite the appearance of double dipping. So, yeah, <laughs> I, worse I, than I, that. I listen to this stuff that Bob Woodward's putting out, and as you've alluded to, if they were such bombshells, why didn't he put them out when he was on the clock? Well, I can answer why? that question. I can answer that. I mean, once again, and you have to wonder what things did the president tell Bob Woodward that he's not disclosing now as part of the you know release of some of the audio. Let's go back to January and February. I get a phone call. I'm retired out of emergency management. I get a phone call from somebody I used to work for for quite a while, who's now in a different state and a much bigger county. And he said, we've got a problem coming up and we got to start planning for what could be a major outbreak and pandemic. Would you be willing to come on board? Yes, I would. If you need me that bad, I will travel up and I will do my thing. Well, another couple of weeks go by. And he said, we're beginning to start spinning up our initial plans, but we're going to need far more than the normal, you know, flu preparation. How quick can you get here? So this is occurring at the same time that Bob Woodward hears what the president says, and he acts like nobody outside of the Oval Office knew what the president knew. Every governor, every emergency management management personnel 
at the state and all the way down to the county level already was in the loop and were told to begin preparations and were working at that time off the Imperial College model. So you can imagine how much work we're doing to prep for this. This has been going on for like six weeks. And Woodward acts like, oh, we let people die. No, we didn't. We knew where it was. We knew where it wasn't. It hadn't arrived yet. Gave us time to spin up. We didn't want to see the grocery stores empty and and the gas pumps dry. That's what's going to happen when people panic. What are your thoughts? Well, here's the thing. When this pandemic first broke of course it was uncharted territory Mm -hmm. nobody knew well okay let me let me back up it was an uncharted territory there have been pandemics in this country before oh yeah and also this one we've never and and we've never shut down the government for it we just dealt with it as it happened in the hot spots but this is the thing that's always sort of given me pause for doubt The first thing that I saw was, and and I'm I'm sure other people have seen it, we Mm -hmm. took the time to actually dig deep, is that the government made sure when they passed that first bill, and Mm -hmm. we talked about this before in a previous show. That's right. That they were were going to make sure that the federal government officials, the Senate, the, the staffers, the Congress people, that they all made sure that they were going to get their paychecks on time. So when too. the government was, so when the government shut down the country, and businesses had to close, thus employees lost their job. Everybody mm-hmm. was losing their jobs except for the media and the government. Absolutely, that's and true. We're all in this together. And now over the coming months, we've seen that while governors and and mayors have kept their cities under lockdown and shutdowns of various forms. Those city employees are getting a paycheck, trust me, even if they work from home. And we're seeing that some of these governors and mayors are still, uh, while they have us all locked down, they are still going out and going to restaurants and getting their hair done uh-huh. and and go you know i think it was just recently it was the mayor of philadelphia who went to maryland. some other state mm-hmm. went to maryland to go to a restaurant because he has his state in, in his restaurants closed down but he still had to go fill his fat belly yeah i know so it makes, and then, and then also with the revelation, I, I think we could call it a revelation. It was actually somebody who was speaking amongst the, her own, so she felt comfortable to to run her mouth. Barbara Ferrer, the health person oh, in yeah. California, covered that yesterday. Who basic, yeah, who basically said that um, we'll be able to lift the schools and let the kids go back after the election. So this is all about politics. Okay, let, let's pause this right here. All- let's pause right here. I'm going to play for the audience exactly what she said out there in California. And you're right. This was a private, um, you know, speakerphone conference thing with people that would be operatives of the same mindset as her. And so she is thinking... 100%. I'm talking among my people. I'm talking among my peers. And this is exactly the way she phrased it. We uh, don't realistically anticipate that we would be moving to either tier two or to reopening uh, K through 12 schools, at least through uh, 
at least until after the election, after, you know, in early November. We're going to be where we are now until uh, we get after, until we, we are done with the election. And, and she says like four times or three times, you know, after the it was, election, it was after the election. It was twelve. Yeah, it was twice, but I mean, still, uh, in the span of the 30 or 40 seconds, for her to make the emphasis on, but yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, so we, we can pretend that we've played that. I'm just going to make a little marking yep. here, 10 minutes, and then I can cut the segment. Uh, so, so there you have it. That's what she said among her peers, her friends, and she never, if she thought for one second anybody from the media was going to hear this, she would never have said it. But she said it because she believes it, and I think she really wants it to be that way. Would you agree with that premise? Well, yes, and it would not surprise me a bit that if, for some strange reason, Joe Biden was to win the election, right? that within days, all of a sudden, the coast is clear, and we can open up because, heaven forbid, people be inconvenienced under a Biden administration. So maybe it might not take um, within a few days, but probably within a few days after January 20th or whenever the day is that he right. his administration would assume um, power, that within days, if not a, a couple of weeks, that the country totally opened up. So this whole thing is nothing but politics. Mm -hmm. Going into the 2020 election, the Democrats knew that there was no way that they could run a successful presidential campaign running against, it's the economy, stupid, uh, running against Donald Trump and his Mm -hmm. economy. So with the pandemic breaking as suspiciously as it did, and I think the timing is also, Laura thinks that the the pandemic was... um, prematurely released Mm -hmm. it wasn't supposed to be released until mid this year instead of late last year right but um the chinese they definitely don't like donald trump because he's basically rewritten all the trade agreements that the feckless bureaucrats that have you know run the state department you know you just uh, reminded me when you said that remember when all this started to break is about the time the chinese are supposed to be signing a new trade deal is about when this thing exploded in its early functions in January. There's some kind of a pandemic, and it may be coming yeah. our way. All at the same time, yeah. this is supposed to happen. Look, I'm with you as I look in retrospect. Here's two things that people forget. 2003, 2004, we had a SARS-CoV breakout from China. The only difference was then they were forthcoming right away this was kind of a dry run as there probably had been playing with this stuff and it got out and so the number of people that died around the world was significantly less because all the hot spots were controlled in the first weeks not months before it got out and when you look at the SARS virus one from three and four it's like 80% the same virus as the one today, just some minor protein receptors that are different, which ups the value in terms of gain factor for in, for being infectious, which makes me suspect that they've been manipulated in a lab, and this thing got out, and it's more contagious. But it's going to run the same course as the other virus did. It burnt out. 
after so many months. And my belief is like yours. It came out a little bit too soon. It should have gotten here more like in April at the end of the flu season so we could add all those numbers like, well, all those flu deaths we just had are now added to this little peak number. In three and four, it was late in the year in three when that virus got out and it snuffed itself out by the end of 2004. And a lot of people in my business suspect the same thing will happen. And maybe this is the fear. Some of the think tanks that have been dead on that I rely upon claim this thing will burn out in November here in the United States, and it'll be so obvious in October that you can't miss it. So they're trying to keep us under lockdown to keep the thing from burning out. Would you think our well, think people would actually do that? Well, it, as long as they can keep the fear quotient up, mm-hmm. I mean, the latest fear, not the latest, but over the last few months is, well, you have to wear a mask because yep. if you don't wear a mask, you're you're putting my life in danger and you're putting everybody else's life in danger. So you have to wear it. So it's all um, back in uh, 2008, I think it was the very first meme that I created was that liberals create policies that are so wonderful they have to force you to use them Uh so it's all right now about force it's about shaming and now we've got this cancel culture thing you know heaped on with the black lives matter protest and in the latest uh shot across the bow is that if Donald Trump is reelected, the violence in the street is ramped up. I mean, that's blackmail. Yeah, that's okay? what it is. So, so, so if we want calm in the streets, we have to give the children what, and that's basically while I'm looking at all these, it, it, it's, um, it also reminds me of a piece that I wrote in 2017 that the the liberals have taken the college safe space yep. and want to implement that into the rest of the country. Well, here we are. Mm-hmm. You, you know, your businesses are being canceled if they say the wrong thing. Yep. Just like just like on your your average fascist can, college campus, where back in the day you could get a pamphlet for a college and on the very first page, our campus is a campus is a place that you can, that embraces the free expression of ideas. Yep. So that's all down the toilet. Right, exactly. Okay. Unless they're the and right so, ideas now. Now, now they're qualified. They're qualified like the book animal farm. Now we only certain ideas are good ideas to express. And, and the thing is you can't, they don't even want to hear them. They put their hands up on their ears, scream, la, la, la. Mm-hmm. Now, there's this veiled blackmail that if the election doesn't go their way, they're going to take to the streets and riot Yep. even more. Okay. Um, I say bring it, bring mm-hmm. it, you know, it, because it's not going to be the left versus right. Yep. It's going to be the American citizens against the children. Yep. And I'm, you know, and the children have been brainwashed. Yes, we see it. We see it with these less, less, these study plans that are now Mm -hmm. being more and more widely circulated about a lot of these schools and school districts that are embracing Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. because um, it's, it's, 
you know, the it's the thing to do so right. you don't get canceled on social media. Yeah. Big effing deal. I know. I got um, I got friends of mine right now that have had, you know, I've got one guy who's just finished his 19th 30-day suspension from Facebook. His 19th. He's going for a record, I hope. And you're right. If you well, say the wrong thing... And and when I look at the stuff that he says, so he point he, he says something totally true, but that goes against a community standard. But you know, sexuality and strange stuff that doesn't. I, I I don't understand the Facebook concept of what their community their community must be a very perverted community with a very closed mind. Well, and uh, again, I don't know if this is something we previously talked about, but. If we were to be able to go back to 2006 and uh, and shortly thereafter when YouTube was created and Facebook shortly and Twitter shortly after that were created, if you had to, when creating a, uh, an account, right, you had to use your name, not a not a fake name. If you had to use your real picture not an avatar, Mm -hmm. not a cartoon or a saying or a flag or an eagle or a penis or whatever. Mm -hmm. If you had to use your actual face, I think the whole thing about we're talking about this social media civility would be totally different. But when people can hide behind anonymity, and I've always I always mispronounce that word. It's just one of those. Uh, yeah, that, I, um, I, I stumble upon. I'm but now I'm, I'm going to call it, it amenity for the rest of my life now because you said that. <laughs> but if, if people had to be who they are mm-hmm. and not hide behind something, yeah, then everything would be totally different. We look at, for example, the um, opinion people online and journalists yeah they did not have to go to journalism school they didn't have to you know read the ap style book to learn what the rules Mm -hmm. of journalism are i can remember when i first started writing for the guam tribune after i got out of the navy as a navy journalist and i can and i can tell you right now if i had walked into my editor's office with a story Mm-hmm. that had anonymous sources in them. Yeah. It would be the equivalent of me walking in with my resignation letter because you there was no reputable journalistic institution would allow a piece to be published that had anonymous sources. Mm-hmm. The only One, way, the, look, the, the only way you could ever get away with that and I did a couple of times early in my career is when the other people knew who those sources were and understood why we were withholding their name. But it wasn't like just my personal secret friends. No, I had somebody else above me that said, yeah, I know those people. They're credible and I can understand. Well, their name will get out later. But for now, we we have sources we have talked to, you know, that, that you can do that. But, you know, these you're right. These people just make them up and they, there's no one else in the editorial room that knows who these sources are. They're all made up. And how many of these sources, um, like the whistleblower, come to mind? They were never real sources to begin with. They were never real people. Yeah, well, when you can hide behind that First Amendment guarantee freedom of the press, Mm -hmm. you can um, pervert them to your, your liking. So... Yes, you can, if you're somebody who is a 
never, you know, never not a never Trumper, but a, a, a liberal mm-hmm. who hates Donald Trump, for example, and will do anything it can to be part of the quote unquote resist. Mm-hmm. You could write a piece if you're working for a like minded publication. Yeah, New York Times, say, oh, Washington I, Post, yeah, and I, or, you know, Vogue or um, Atlantic. Atlantic. Mm-hmm. You can you can say anything you want, and you can say, "Oh, well, I have these sources," and because they're journal protected sources, you don't have to ask who they are. And it's basically a take my word for it kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, I don't Problem think is, in my day, you know, it, my my the guy that I worked for, he better know and verify those sources himself to be comfortable and have a clear understanding why, for the moment, you know, for their own protection. Like, you know, they're going to get fired or, you know, you're starting a, a, a real mess. Um, I had a term, I just can't say it on radio, that they came across my mind. But, yeah, there, there are times you have to do that to protect that source. But too many of these unnamed sources are, they're mythological sources. They're, they're pixie dust. They're whatever you want to, want to call it. They don't exist. Well, back in the day when journals were brick and mortar, there was actually something to lose if you were to misquote or make up a source uh, for mm-hmm. and slander somebody or libel them. They could turn around and sue you, and that was the um, incentive for journalistic institutions to be very careful yep. when they were publishing quotes from anonymous sources. Nowadays, you've got so many outlets out there, and some of them are basically uh, you'll be lucky if you were to get them to say sorry, let alone any kind of financial uh, recourse Mm -hmm. for being slandered. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not, we're not always talking about a CNN where Nick Sandman can go in and sue. We're talking about nonprofits or blogs that have no money. So they basically can run roughshod over you. And they know that it's like, uh, if you were were to hire an attorney, it would be like trying to get blood from a stone. So, And then you've got just common everyday bloggers who can come out and say, well, an anonymous source. And so there's there's all these perils. But getting back to the whole COVID thing, this whole thing has been so, I mean, these governors and mayors obviously know that it is safe to go out and walk amongst the people. That's but right. they've got this power that they are that they are so drunk with that they can keep people basically herded and doing what they say. I mean, when was the last time a, a governor could say, do this, right. and the people in their state would actually have to obey? Mm-hmm. They, they, they love this, and it's all about the election, so yep. they, can use, they can use this as a, as a way to um, keep us all under, under, under their thumbs, but when it comes to their own being able to get out and about and go jogging and go to the beauty parlor and go to restaurants, they, their actions show yep. that there is not, that this thing has petered out. Yes. It petered out probably a long time ago. And there's one other quick little thing to think about. When you and I have um, your your daily aches and pains, uh, yeah, we we just live with them, okay, and we live with them. And it's only when you go to a doctor, and a doctor says, "Oh, well, you have this. We have to put you on this medication." Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you start getting side effects. 
that require another piece of, of, of prescription yeah, medicine now pretty, being ingested. Pretty true. And yeah. it just gets and it just snowballs um, um, sometimes until you have to get an operation. But mm-hmm. if you didn't go to the doctor in the first place, yep. you would have lived with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Big so pharma. Now look at this whole this whole COVID thing. If it if it wasn't blown, if if it, you know if the tree falls in the forest and you're not there to hear it, doesn't make a sound. If we were not alerted, yep. to this COVID thing and being blown up into arms flailing panic by the media and by Democrats and people who saw it as an opportunity to take up economy. Mm-hmm. Would this have just been another case of a bad flu season? Or I'll tell you what would have happened. I'll tell you what would have happened. They would have gone and started to do a little research with what they're finding, and they would have discovered SARS COVID uh, version one from 2003 and 2004, and they would have found, like I found at the CDC website, the infectious disease website, and about seven medical school websites the final draft conclusions about SARS-CoV and how to treat it. And you know what the treatment was for SARS-CoV? What? Where's the Jeopardy theme? Hydroxychloroquine and zinc. And it was Mm -hmm. tested and tested and tested. You can see the slides of how it changes the cells, how it, it, it begins to eliminate it from the lungs. That was the go-to treatment in 2005. It's at the CDC website. It is at about nine websites that I found this document that I have since also, of course, kept in case it, it disappears. But they, they the afterwash where they did all the study said this is what worked. And so if this ever happens again, we just need to spin up some hydroxychloroquine, vitamin D and zinc and a couple of other things. And that is your treatment. They never talked about a vaccine because these viruses mutate a little bit too fast to ever get a stable vaccine. It's not going to happen. Fauci's been promising an AIDS vaccine since the 1980s. Where is it? Mm-hmm. And so... Well, what, it, 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 well, and, and here's another thing, too. Well, for all these people who are ready to go and jump and get a, a vaccine shot into their arm or wherever they mm-hmm. which they make you, however they make you ingest it. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things that they are not talking about are long-term effects. Yes. Because this thing is being whipped out so quickly, they don't have the ability of time and the luxury of time to be able to study the long term effects. Mm-hmm. So when you have these people who are being denigrated as anti-vaxxers, when it, especially in the case of any kind of a COVID-19 vaccine, um, you got to get the vaccine. You're going to kill people if you, because you'll get sick and make other people die. You know, the, well, and, and, yeah, and they want and they want to get into that groupthink mentality of mm-hmm. bullying people who yeah. don't want to take the vaccine. But what are the long term effects? We don't know. The, you know, I mean, my wife's son, for example, has suffered the effects of the anthrax vaccine when he was forced to take them in the National Guard. Right. OK. Um, there was a commission at, that was in, I believe, the late 90s that Dan Burton um, had congressional hearings 
because there was an agency that was created to redress people who took vaccines and their children and relatives had adverse effects. And this was a way of being able to give them monies because in these people needed needed um, round the clock yep. assistance mm-hmm. for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Funny thing, with after if, after you went through that whole process of being evaluated and diagnosed, and and and, and then they if they found that you did were eligible right. for the redress, the financial redress. What mm-hmm. was the next step? Who was the next person that you had to deal with? in order to get the funds to the Department of Justice. Yeah. They came in and they would look it over and then they could put the they could either give you the seal of approval or they could do give you the kibosh. Yeah. And the thing is, they did not have a good bedside manner. No, they would come no. in and they would basically put the family through all kinds of hell. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting, we created a video on this. Um, the one of the uh, Dan Burton or one of the congressmen was oh, these um, FBI or these DOJ um, would they give the families that came and testified mm-hmm. a hard time? Yeah. And the, the the FBI or the DOJ agent said, "I find it really offensive that that uh, it would even be thought that the yeah. DOJ would terrorize mm-hmm. and have any kind of retribution mm-hmm. against American citizens." Oh, I, I agree. Mean, you listen to that, and it's it's almost like a Mel Brooks movie. Yep, we got a break coming up. By the way, real quick here, hang on, Bob. We got a break coming up. I want to remind people you're listening to Truth to Ponder. We are now in our third week, and I want to remind you about the website. The website is truth, the number two, ponder.com, truth2ponder.com. Our guest in the program today is Bob Parks of Black and Blonde Media. And when we get back in a moment, we're going to continue talking on this topic. And then I want to move it toward the the fun of vote-in mailing and how well that's going to work out for us. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to Truth to Ponder. I'm your host, Bob Bierman. Here on the Tuesday edition of the program, I've got my friend Bob Parks from Black and Blonde Media. And Bob, before we get back into our discussion, we were we've been kind of talking about the news in general, uh, the pandemic. And the whole concept of never let a good crisis go to waste. But before I forget, and time gets away, tell people how they can find the stuff that you do. I discovered you through Black and Blonde Media and a number of the things you've written that I just really have enjoyed. So give people where they can find you. Uh, You can go to blackandblondemedia.com. And once you're there, uh, there's uh, we'd like to provide as our slogan on our website is uncomfortable um, uncomfortable conservative commentary Mm -hmm. uh we we are not part of the echo chamber that's right either we are not we are not conservative loyalists in the in the aspect of when the other side does something wrong we'll pounce but when our side does something wrong we will be silent um that is sort of something that has sort of kept us on the outs 
um, with um, a lot some of our conservative counterparts because our side does screw up sometimes. Oh, they we do. have Romneys and we have McCain's and we mm-hmm. have Susan Collins types and people who are destructive. We have certain conservative leaders, quote unquote, unelected leaders. One of the things that's always fascinated me is, uh, for example, as a black person, whenever uh, something happens in the media, your CNNs and your MSNBCs will go out and find uh, the nearest black uh, pundit to interpret for the rest of the country what they just what what just happened. Mm -hmm. And I found it, it very insulting that I was being lumped into someone who supported Jesse Jackson and then Al Sharpton. Well, we do the same thing on the conservative side. We have unelected conservative leaders, people who have never run for office. Mm -hmm. They have never um, done anything except for being able to have some, to get to some kind of a bully pulpit and find ways to extract donor dollars from us. Yep. And 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 not provide anything really of substance. Nothing tangible beyond things beyond anything that we couldn't do for ourselves. Exactly. They, Look, know, it's so, the political. I mean, it's and, the and, political industry. It's 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 a cottage industry of politics. And you know, if I wanted to make money, I'm sure I could become a liberal writer, and I could you know get acclaims and find myself on CNN within two years. Just it could be done. But I don't do that. When I do a program like this or anything else I've done in my life, it comes from the heart. It comes from a genuine conviction that's not for sale. If I if I do anything less, I'm not me. And uh, like you're saying, th- th- there's too much of a cottage industry in politics today that I find, well, troublesome. I really do. And I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of the people on both sides don't like Donald Trump because he frankly doesn't care what you think. He really doesn't. You know, he's in it to fix well, a country. Well, for... It's I not the give, money. For example, well, for example, I will give uh, Glenn Beck mm-hmm. some kudos because I think it was last weekend he came out and mm-hmm. publicly said that he was wrong in and in the years after for going after Donald Trump and mm-hmm. saying that he wasn't conservative, that he was this, he was that. And he was part of the, he was one of the never Trumper cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. Now, what was really offensive to this day, and can, can I name names? I don't care. Um, I will. Okay. You have your Mark Levins. Mm-hmm. You've got your Dana Leshes. You've got your Katie Pavliches. You've got your Brent Bozells. You've got a whole bunch of people. You've got Jenny Beth Martin of Tea Party Patriots, who were all in 2016 saying that Donald Trump doesn't love you. Donald Trump doesn't love the Tea Party. He only loves himself. Uh, and, you know, and, they, and she said that Jenny Beth Martin at CPAC. You've got um, who's that? Uh, Matt Schlapp of CPAC, who was going to deny Donald Trump a speaking role. In fact, he did in 2016. You have all of these people who, you know, uh, Mark Levin, all the way up until Election Day, we Mm -hmm. were always told as conservatives and Republicans that as soon as the primary is over, 
We drop our differences and we unite around the nominee. That did not happen this time. No, it didn't. We had all of these, cons- we had all of these conservatives all the way up until Election Day telling us, oh, it should have been Ted Cruz. should have been Ted Cruz. Yeah, I heard it all. <laughs> shut up, shut up, you idiot. Yeah. yeah you know, How uh, can you vote for that man? Did. He's just, well, you know, one of the things I have to fight when it comes to Donald Trump you'll get some of these never trumpers that are always angry at christians for supporting donald trump saying that he's just a terrible man and he said this and he did that and he's not that and at one time he was and and they they bring out all the the, quote moral failings of donald trump and then i have to remind them just catch your breath for one second for one moment catch your breath Number one, we are not electing the head pastor for some evangelical church. Number one, we are not. And if we go by the standard you just rolled out for electing a leader, God would have to fire King David and dispose of King Solomon as unworthy candidates to lead his people. If you go by that standard, Jesus himself points out, look at a good businessman and learn from that businessman. He makes it clear there's nothing wrong with knowing how to do business. And we're hiring a CEO of the largest corporation in the world called the United States of America. I think I would rather have a person that is wise of the things of the world, who has the best interest of the country at heart, than hire, I don't know, uh Jerry Falwell Jr., I mean, because he was the president of a a Christian college. I mean, no, I can think of a lot of evangelical people in ministry that I would never want to see as president because we might as well just, you know, hang it up. We'd be in such ruins in a few years because they don't know how to run a big business, and Trump does. There, I said it. Well, Well, these people are all hypocrites. A lot of these people are hypocrites because now to this day, ever since the election happened and all of these Donald Trump's proposals, which have become successes, the low unemployment rates, everything pre-COVID. I mean, you look at the the peace accords. We haven't he hasn't started a war. I mean, all of the things that we these so-called conservative values. He's brought soldiers home with 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 the with the with the success. They are now in our faces telling us you need to get out and vote you need to support donald trump and it's like wait a minute hold on you have yet to apologize for the damage you did mm-hmm. you have apologized for some of these conservatives trying to steal donald delegates in 2016 yeah. and give them to ted cruz all of the damage that they did they have and, and, and to date the only one that had any kind of a megaphone who has come out and said, you know something, I screwed up, was Glenn Beck. That's right. Okay? He's the true. only one. And so you've got, and, and, and as far as these people trying to lecture us about Donald Trump and he's not a nice guy, uh, we both know, because you and I have been in this arena long enough to see the public persona. Mm-hmm and the personal persona. Some of these people 
And I will, and, and I and I know from my dealings with people on the conservative side, as well as the liberal side, but, you know, I've spent a lot more time lately on the conservative side. Some of these conservatives, while they go on TV and they smile and they act soft-spoken and are nice people, yeah. are some of the biggest a-holes behind you the You got scenes. it. Mm-hmm. I met a few. I met a number. Maniacs. They are rude. They are verbal abusers to some of their employees. I've seen it and 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 the thing is um there are people who know me and who know the circles that i have worked in over the years Mm -hmm. and they know exactly who i'm talking about well some of these people are not nice and but yet they will say and do the right thing to get you to give those donor dollars because that's you know they they don't they they work they they own non-profits and look of value that you Two things to sorry, keep in sorry. two things to keep in mind. Yeah, we, we, and I always tell people the, the the wonders of technology today is the fact that digital gives a delay. So sometimes I'm saying something you hear about a second later, and it gets awkward. I know, but two things come to mind. Number one, um, too much of politics has become an industry. The people that so many people fawn over and and talk about oh sean hannity said or this person said these people are making 20 23 million dollars per year they have become overpaid celebrities and superstars and as much as i agree with a lot of what they say i believe at times when you get to that level of money there can be some tainting uh depending what point in life you are i think I think with Rush Limbaugh facing what he is facing with cancer these days, he frankly doesn't care what anybody thinks anymore, and he can say what he wants to say and, and not worry about it. He doesn't care. He's, you know, he's just happy to have another day to live. But I, I worry about what I call superstardom uh, among conservatives, and they get very used to the money, the prestige, uh, the recognition, uh, the celebrity status, and the followers. And, and I think that's not good for any cause. I'm not sure if you would agree with that or not, but I really, I mean, look, I'll never get rich doing what I'm doing, and I have no intention. I really don't. Um, I'm just going to do what I do and be very truthful, and I don't care. Let the chips fall where they may. I'm going to leave one thought here, then I want to move on to uh, election fraud. To those never-Trumpers who may vote third party or just sit it out or or even vote for biden because he's a reasonable person i will ask those never trumpers name one policy that was supported by president trump that was ever a threat to your church your private school or your personal freedom compared to what a democrat would have done and will do to your your faith and your church your personal freedom yeah their policies are not family friendly at all and so i leave it at that now let's turn on to one of the things that's really got me worried and i think this is why the vote by mail thing they've they've got to keep COVID alive longer than it will live in order to get vote by mail and millions upon millions of ballots going to dead people uh in a house they haven't lived in in 30 years people are getting four and five ballots with different names to their address we have got a mess on our hands. Now, you've read, and I'm sure, the scenario. What happens if Trump wins on election night and over the next month or two or three, we keep filing mail bags full of just recently discovered ballots? What do you think is going to happen in this country 
if we get into this never-ending, we found more ballots here in, in South Georgia in an abandoned mailbag. What do you think? Well, there is an aspect to that. I Again, I try not to get, and I'm not saying this is you or any of your listeners, but I try not to get um, wrapped up in the, the liberal hysterics template of, uh, and, and the same with the conservatives. The conservatives, they try to create as much clickbait as they can. Because here's, here's the thing. And again, I try to base a lot of what I say on, on, on personal experience. Um, I ran for office in 2008. And um, I got caught in the McCain wake. Yeah. Because there were a lot of people who, and I was living in Massachusetts at the time, I remember election day. It was snowy. It was cold. It was um, slushy to, stay, to stand in, in a line waiting mm-hmm. to go to, you know, to get to the polls. Well, when you live up north, you could, expect I, it. Come on, but, you'll, you'll, you'll stand outside of Best right. Buy waiting for a computer all night. Right. But and the point I'm making is that John McCain was not a candidate that people were willing to stand in the snow and the slush. Yeah, you're right. You're right. To vote for. So now why we got all this mail-in ballot stuff going on right Mm -hmm. now? They're trying to get as many votes in as possible because we also hear Democrats with one of their their template memes as voter disenfranchisement. Mm -hmm. Okay? I think the greatest voter disenfranchisement is going to occur occur after the first Biden-Trump debate. Yeah, yeah. You and my wife are on the same page. She's saying, oh, my God, if if, if, we need to have the first ballots after the first debate because people are going to have buyer's remorse after that first debate. Well, there's going to be that, but when... First of all, we know young people are extremely... have always been traditionally extremely flaky when it comes to voting. So are they going to want to, after not just one, not just two, but three embarrassing debates? I mean, look at, look at, look at the Biden campaign. Mm-hmm. Look at the way it has been run thus far. It's a joke. With all of the faux pas, with all of the, 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 the uh, miscues with prompters during what are supposed to be uh, question and answer periods. When he's, reading the instru- when he's reading the instructions to him on the prompter to us with a blank stare in his face. And now look Mel at... Brooks I mean, yeah. couldn't have written a better script no. for a, a spoof on a presidential campaign. Can you only imagine how liberals are going to be face-palming during the the first debate, Mm -hmm. let alone the second, are how many liberals are going to want to stand in the cold, in the rain, or whatever, in line to vote for Joe Biden. That's the reason why they have to get the mail-in ballot stuff in early now. Yeah. Before that, to beat the debate, because it, it's all it's all going to start slowing down after. The, I mean, I'll tell you what: if if Joe, Joe Biden was the was the Republican, I can't tell you that I would be all jumping and, and hopping and, and full of you you know what and vinegar. Kind of like kind of like Mitt Romney running. Kind of like how I felt about Mitt Romney because yeah, I knew I just knew I knew what he was going to be. Everything that that Mitt Romney has done since he lost in 2012 is unsurprising to me because all you are seeing now is what many of us knew at the time 
about him and why he was going to be, un- you know, he was a sacrificial lamb because we knew we knew uh, Obama was going to win. We knew that, you know, what chance did we have in the Republican Party in 08? Okay, it's McCain's turn, I guess. Let him run and lose. At least he ran. And that's a lot of what happened, I think, in 08 and in 12. And 16, everybody thought it was open season and a Republican was going to finally win. And I think that big crowd from Jeb Bush on down uh, thought that Trump would never make it. And yet I think the people were so... Here's what my theory is. People are so fed up with politics as usual. The establishment assuming we do what we're told to do when we're told to do it and our country keeps getting the same promises that are unfulfilled and unfulfilled and unfulfilled and and i think that overall a lot of people in 2016 in flyover country that was ignored said enough is enough is enough and we had a change and i don't think the washington establishment has ever recovered and the idea of them having four more years of this nightmare imposed on them, or what they consider a nightmare, and this term, because he doesn't have another term to worry about, could be a lot worse for the entrenched crowd in D.C. That's the way I feel about it. Oh, it, I totally. They, they're, they're, I think they are quite afraid of a, of a bull in the china shop Donald Trump, mm-hmm. who who yeah agree with that um getting back to the election fraud aspect of it yes the the mail-in ballots are what they need right now they're they're going to have no enthusiasm for this election yeah they're going to have none when when it comes time and also one of the mo- the things that that differentiates this year from years in in memory is that a lot of times when politicians get up and they talk about the policies they want to do and things that they want to accomplish, outside of taxation, a lot of these things aren't really felt by the American people. Now, Obamacare, that did hit Oh, we, oh, oh, I felt it, and it hurt. And you, and, and you, and you remember the blowback that, that Obama and this. Well, now you look at the riots. You look at these liberals who are enabling these children to burn, loot, injure, destroy public property, private property. It is now something that is real to them. Yeah. And um, so this is another thing that they are going to be voting against because mm-hmm. they know that this is this um, mostly peaceful protesting. Is something that Democrats don't really have a problem with. Yeah, that's true. Republicans do. That is the night and day issue that is going to either send Republicans in droves to the polls or keep a lot of liberals because they're not going to want to vote for Donald Trump. Yeah. But they're not going to feel like Joe Biden is worth going out and standing in the cold for. Mm-hmm. And, and, and deep down inside, they don't like this stuff either. So they are going to probably sit it out. So we I don't blame them. And, and, that, and that's, part of the, that's part of the COVID scare, too. Look, I'm the first to tell you I know people that have actually had this disease, a couple that had a pretty rough run because they had other health issues, but they're all, they're all fine now. Um, 
but the death rate, we were told, kept declining and declining and declining. Uh, look at what the CDC finally admitted, which we already had known, that this disease is more intense. But if you are having issues that may take your life in the same year, and I would say the majority of those that died of this would have died within the same year. We know that. It doesn't minimize it. But the problem now is the numbers to force a lockdown are not there. The new infect we have an infection uh, pandemic, and 90% of those that are infected don't even know they are, do not have a viral load sufficient to become sick or a viral load that they could even pass on to anybody else. And we, we've made a test so sensitive now that 90% of these positives are meaningless. So to say we had 9,000 students in Florida tested positive, we have 3 million students. That's one in like 350. And out of that, they never knew they were sick. So the numbers are not holding, but they've got to keep using the numbers the best they can. More infections, more infections. And maybe once every three weeks, we had a big number of deaths. Well, they don't tell you that's over a period of three or four weeks. Not today. They're desperate to keep the fear alive. Look at Sweden, who was supposed to have done everything wrong. Suddenly, their death rate per 100,000 is becoming average or below in the world. And their decline in deaths and hospitalizations was a straight 45-degree down line over the last several months to now virtually zero. Zero everything. And this this virus may very well burn out. There may we always talk about a second wave was going to was going to happen. It really didn't. Only in the south and areas when people first got out in the in the decent weather, you had a mild spike, but but that's among younger people. The death rates were not going up. They still were declining. So they're trying to keep the fear of this pandemic. You're right to keep keep that. Uh, we got to get the ballots out and get them out now before everyone gets sick again and get them back. And you're right. A very unenthused candidate in Joe Biden may be the reason. I, I have to now that I've listened to what you've had to say, I, I really tend to believe you're right that it's more it's less about stealing votes, which may happen in a few isolated cases in the battleground states. But you're right. It's to get people in Florida to vote early before they find out this guy is worse off than half of the elderly in the state of Florida. Well, the numbers definitely have been politicized. And if you were to go on social media, you'll see a lot of these um, these uh, hashtags about how Obama would have done it better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obama yeah. is who we need. Yeah. Now, let's look at something here. We've got this, because liberals love to recite death counts. I remember during the Iraq war, mm -hmm. um, I was living in an area where there was this woman who had on her side of her barn the, the death count of American soldiers that were killed right. in Iraq. That, that liberals love death count numbers. So right now, the, the numbers are starting to approach. Um, if you listen to the media, and, and we're between 180 to 200,000 people mm -hmm. supposedly killed of COVID. Yeah. We I don't also believe know it. That if you were to look at the numbers of people who died just of COVID, not people who had other underlying conditions. And the average had 2.6 other conditions going on that could be life-threatening or kill them by themselves. So if you look at that number of people who were just killed from COVID, mm -hmm. thousand. Okay? 
Now, if Obama was the president today, what number do you think that they would be reciting? Do you think they'd be reciting the 180 to 200,000 people dead of COVID? They keep it or under the. They would, they, they would keep it somewhere be between fine. that and the and the, you know the seasonal flu, like you know thirty or forty thousand would be acceptable because that's lower than the seasonal flu. That's right. the way but I figure. Again, if 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 they were to be talking about COVID deaths and they were to, and they had these two numbers, the number of people who died total or, of or 180,000 to 200,000 or would they be talking would they be saying oh no those people had underlying conditions yeah, yeah, the people yeah, who did yeah. that and if, if Obama was president they wouldn't be talking about such a high number they'd That's be right. talking about they would be and they'd be talking about the low number so this is all politics again as yes. usual and guess what we just ran out of time the program is just about up bob give them Give them your website address again real fast. We've got about 30 seconds here. You go to blackandblondemedia.com, and there you'll have links to our videos, to our social media feeds. You'll have it all there. And it's, uh, we try not to say what everybody else is saying, just to give people another perspective of, uh, of how to look at things that are happening in the world of politics, sports, pop culture, veterans issues. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.